What's going on everybody? Mitch Michaels here. It's time for another edition of the Money Mitch Effect, your favorite sports podcast, at least I hope so. This is episode 100, the 100th episode in the series. And with that, instead of some fancy guests, I'm bringing back some of my favorite reoccurring guests because that's the way we do it around here. It's going to be the College Football Roundtable with Sean Sullivan and Matt Wittenberg, the Return of college football 2017. We take a look at the AP poll week zero this weekend, the unofficial beginning. You know, the big games don't start until, you know, the holiday weekend, but we got a lot to discuss first, so we're going to do just that. But the first guest on the show is Jose Young's SI and fan sided MMA writer. We're going to talk Mayweather McGregor. We're going to talk the Kyrie trade because that happened literally a minute after we started recording. And we're going to talk about some MMA and UFC news and notes without one story. There's one story that we didn't get to. I'll address that at the end of the interview. But Jose's going to cover Mayweather McGregor. Delighted to have him on the show. He's up first, followed on deck by Sean Sullivan and Matt Wittenberg to talk college football. It's the Money Mitch Effect, episode 100, and it starts right now. All right, now joining us on the Money Mitch Effect Hotline, SI fan-sided MMA writer Jose Young's reoccurring guest back again. Jose, welcome back to the Money Mitch Effect, and welcome to what is now the 100th episode exactly of the show. Well, first of all, i got to say congratulations on that, because it's always always a challenge getting a a podcast going for 100 episodes, but um, I didn't know that when when I agreed to do this, so I'm honored. I know it's a surprise, and and the uh, the episode that that's gonna be we're recording this on a Tuesday, it's gonna be posted on a Wednesday. Um, it's gonna have a little bit of everything, and I thought about a couple different ways to do the hundredth episode. But you know what's better than having some of my favorite reoccurring guests on? So that's why uh, I didn't really reveal it to anybody until just now. But Jose, there's uh, a lot going on in the uh, prize fighting world. Before we get into that, though, I want to reiterate, we're recording this at 426 Pacific Time on the West Coast, and what, maybe about two minutes ago, Kyrie Irving just got traded to the Celtics? That's what I hear, and as a as a loyal Celtics fan, I'm happy we got Kyrie, but I loved Isaiah Thomas, who pretty much embodied everything I loved, like, I loved about Boston sports. A little bummed to see Crowder go, wish we could have kept that Nets pick next year, but... We got Kyrie, and we're keeping Tatum, and we still got Horford. So I guess not all is lost. And Hayward. And Gordon yeah, Hayward. And, yeah, and Hayward. Um, and I, if I'm not mistaken, and I have no idea, uh, I believe Kyrie still has like three years left on his contract, and Isaiah had one year left. He'd be a free agent next year. So I'm happy. I am very happy as a Celtics fan. Well, I do want to go over one thing in particular, and that's the fact that we never really see trades between teams that played in the conference finals the year before. So that's I know it's 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 bizarre. It's bizarre, but but I will say everything in the NBA in 2017 is unique. These teams were mismatched. There's only you know two three teams last year that were championship worthy, which we saw, and the fact that Kyrie pretty much demanded out from a team that made the finals the last three years was weird. This probably was as good a deal as Cleveland was going to get. I think that's number one. I don't think, given the fact that he wanted out, that it did not work with him and LeBron anymore, and you did not want him going to camp and and furthering that, I think this was as good as it was going to get. I think, I know you miss Isaiah Thomas. Kyrie is 
a better version, for better or for worse. He's more of everything of Isaiah Thomas, the good, the bad. There's still issues with the defensive side. This just means to me LeBron's gone because Isaiah Thomas is a five foot nine version of Kyrie who is going to play less effective defense if it's even possible than Kyrie against the Warriors if they get back to the finals. And the prized possession of this trade is a 2018 draft pick. Well, LeBron will be, what, 33 going on 34 when that draft comes around? And who's to say he'll even be on the team? Yeah, and it's also the Nets' first-round pick, so it's not like they're guaranteed a top-five pick. I mean, yeah, the Nets aren't going to be that good next year, but in the Eastern Conference, if you're in the Eastern Conference, you can make the playoffs with a 500 record, and they're not a great team, but they're obviously better than they were last year. So, like you said, it's it's as good a pick as you're going to get. I know Isaiah and LeBron are good friends, but Isaiah is one of those guys that loves to score and loves to control the game, and that didn't work out with Kyrie and, Le- Kyrie and LeBron, as you saw at the end of this this offseason. So I am, I'm intrigued from both sides because Kyrie obviously loves to score. Isaiah loves to score. So I don't know how the Cavaliers got an upgrade. Yeah, it's, uh, it's a long-term move. It's a punt on probably their title hopes this year, and it's probably a punt on LeBron round two in Cleveland. Well, we're not here sure. to talk about that. We had to, <laughs> we had to address that at the onset because this is a wild sports day. Jose, before we get to Mayweather McGregor, which takes place this Friday, this Saturday in Las Vegas, and you'll be covering that in Las Vegas. But before that, I want to go over some general UFC things with you. And number one being UFC 215 in, on September 9th is already without a main event. What happened with Junior Dos Santos, and, and what was the positive test? Do, do you have any info you can spread on that? And where do we go with here? I wanted to see Francis fight a, a top uh, heavyweight, and... I don't know what, if that's going to happen now. Well, the main event will be will will be DJ versus Borg for the flyweight title. But now that Junior got, got popped and uh, it was an anti-doping violation from USADA, and they always they always check to make sure. Like I like how what USADA is doing; they are cleaning up the sport. But I wish they wouldn't announce a anti-doping violation without announcing what exactly it is or what exactly caused it. Because I mean. We've seen people get popped, and then USADA will go and they'll test everyone's their supplements and like skin creams and everything. And we're seeing a lot of uh, tainted supplements where it, they weren't trying to cheat. It would just like a skin cream could have traces of a banned substance, and the fighter wouldn't know it. So they weren't trying to cheat; right. they just accidentally used it. So I wish they they would announce these things after they knew all the results. Um, Dos Santos' team is saying it was a diuretic, and they weren't trying to cheat. I've never known Junior to be a cheater. Uh, he's never been linked to anything. He's always been a big guy, and if anything, he's gotten less defined and less muscular uh, over the years. But he popped. They're running the test right now. Uh, for all we know, in a couple weeks, we could be talking about Junior having a retroactive TUE, which or a tainted supplement like Yoel Romero popped and it turned out he had a tainted supplement so it was a lesser suspension basically he was suspended for not for being careless he wasn't suspended for cheating kind of like John Jones when he got uh, popped for UFC 200 it wasn't a steroid it was like a, a erectile dysfunction pill from like a gas station it wasn't knowingly trying to cheat and they suspended him basically being like you're dumb you should have you should have known that <laughs> But, yeah, Junior's out. Francis called out Overeem. I don't know. Overeem just fought in July in a decision fight. Didn't take a lot of damage, but I don't know if he wants that quick turnaround. Overeem had expressed interest in fighting Francis in the past, and 
I would personally like that matchup better than the junior fight, um, but we'll see. It depends on how uh, juniors, what USADA does with juniors test. Right, and I guess I meant main event in the sense that this was the fight I was most looking for. Right. Um, it was on a lot of the posters. It was hyped up. I know it's not. it wasn't a title fight, so it wouldn't go on last, but what I want to know is, in the case of UFC, in the case of what USADA is doing, from the outside, it's impossible for fans to know exactly what's going on. In, in, you talk about in other sports, there's masking agents, there's things, as you said, that are tainted supplements that could be an honest, stupid mistake, but could be more. Could be something to, like an estrogen blocker to, to mask steroid use or what have you. Do you think that's a thing now that the UFC should be worried about, maybe in this case or going forward? How much of that do you think is going on, and ultimately do you think that had anything to do with what... For masking. Yes. masking agents? Yeah, I mean, some a lot of the things on the banned supplements list aren't even steroids. They are masking supplements. So I believe what Brock Lesnar tested positive for was a masking agent for steroids. And so he, he didn't test positive for an anabolic steroid. He got tested. He tested positive for something that has proven to mask anabolic steroids. So... If anything, you saw it as being very thorough in its banned supplements like, hey, this isn't going to help you in the octagon, but it can hide something that can. So you saw it as doing everything. They're covering all their bases. There's, there's really no room for error. Uh, like like Demetrius Johnson has been doing for years, he doesn't take protein shakes. He doesn't take vitamins. He doesn't take anything because he's afraid that he'll accidentally take something that, that will be on the banned supplements list. Uh, he gets all of his protein, his nutrients straight from like fish and meat and chicken and everything. So, and he's the best fighter alive. So, uh, if you're gonna do it, I would obviously do the Demetrius Johnson route. But some of these fighters, they just need that protein shake, and for all they know, they don't know what they're ingesting. Right in a sport like competitive fighting, you, you can't be running the risk of well, we'll just retroactively suspend someone if you put someone in the octagon that has a competitive steroid or, or exactly. whatever advantage. It could be dangerous and, and hazardous to their opponent. Well, we'll see what happens with the heavyweight division. I do want to ask you one follow-up to that. What's the next title fight going to be, and when should we expect to see it? Oh, man. Uh, you, I've heard rumblings of, I know there were rumblings a few weeks ago, of Stipe and Kane at UFC 216 in October. Uh, I know Stipe isn't hurt or anything, but he's trying to renegotiate his contract to get more money from the UFC. I don't think Kane is even healthy, healthy yet. I mean, when you saw the embeddeds and the the um, the training footage of DC leading the UFC 214, Kane was always in jeans and t-shirt and socks. He he wasn't training. So, uh, if Kane was healthy, that would be the one to make. I wouldn't be surprised if they just give Francis uh, bump him up uh, and have him fight Stipe maybe December for Fourth of July, Fourth uh, of July, New Year's Eve, uh, the New Year's Eve fight card, but. Overeem's obviously out there. He's coming off a knockout win over Hunt and a decision over Verdum. He, if he, if Overeem steps in against Francis and beats Francis, I don't know how you don't make Stipe Overeem two. And I know it was less than a year ago that Overeem got knocked out, but he's had back-to-back impressive wins. And the U, the UFC's heavyweight division is very cluttered at the top. And I think the X factor is whether Kane can fight or not. Yeah, we're all looking forward to that fight, but I, I do th- agree with you. It's cluttered at the top. There's a lot of good fights to be had. We just want to see Stipe fight again, defend that title, see if he can you know, make history, defend it yet again. Another pay-per-view that's going to come up in the fall, approaching winter, is UFC 217, and that's going to be Michael Bisping, George St. Pierre. We're also going to hopefully get Cody Garbrandt and TJ Dillashaw on that card. But, Jose, 
Bisping gets the George St. Pierre fight. It's been an yeah. interesting couple of months uh, for Bisping. Are you surprised that Dana White and the UFC went this route with George St. Pierre? Because there was rumblings, maybe Woodley, maybe something else. Bisping has a couple challengers lined up in a in a crowded division himself. But are you surprised this is where we're going with that middleweight fight? Um, a little bit. Uh, I know DC, I'm DC. Dana said that the winner of Maya and Woodley was guaranteed the next shot at GSP. But in the back of my mind, I never really believed it. Um, it's weird that they, they made the interim middleweight fight and Robert Whitaker won, and they're not having the interim title, interim champion and the undisputed champion fight next. I, but from what I hear, Whitaker has an injured knee. He hurt it against Romero, so he's not even ready to go until sometime in 2018. GSP wants Bisbing. Bisbing wants GSP. It's obviously going to sell a lot of money because Bisbing talks trash like no, like I think the only one that talks better trash in the UFC is Conor McGregor, and Bisbing uh, loves playing the bad guy. George St. Pierre is obviously one of the top three biggest pay-per-view draws in UFC history. So no, it does not surprise me. And even when Dana said that Woodley, Woodley, the winner of Woodley Maya was next to GSP, I never really believed him because I know how Dana White and the UFC thinks, and they love money and they love putting on these these big marquee fights, whether they make sense or not. So to answer short, no, I'm not surprised. Well, I guess I'm surprised on two fronts. One, I think the Woodley fight would be just a better fight overall, in my opinion. And two, this really does add fire, you know, flames to the fire to the fact that Woodley and, and Dana White, the UFC, are just not getting along right now. And it has been the worst-kept secret for the past few months, but it's boiled over. We saw what happened at the previous UFC pay-per-view in Anaheim after that fight, after you know, Woodley's reaction. Is it going to keep deteriorating? I mean, you got to think Woodley's pissed at this decision. Well, I know he. I don't know if Woodley's upset. I mean, he said at the decision, at the press conference, he said he didn't really care anymore. He said he was tired of putting thought into fighting GSP because even he didn't think it would happen. But I think he's just more upset at Dana's his comments regarding his title fight against uh, Damian Maya. Like to Woodley's credit, he he canceled out everything Damian Maya did, and it wasn't the most exciting. I get it, but he still won, and Dana White basically threw his champion under the bus saying it was a terrible fight and he wasn't getting the GSP fight and took away uh, Tyron's big paycheck that was guaranteed with fighting GSP. And I think he was more upset at the comments involving the fight than not getting the GSP fight. But from what Woodley and Dana have said, the, it's squashed, but no one I know heard the conversation. I'm, it's just both of them saying they sat down and talked. So we'll see what happens the next time Woodley fights and Dana White and Tyron have to sit up on stage together. Uh, I know that's going to be interesting. When the first, I know the first question is going to be about about their relationship. But at this point, uh, who knows? Dana White is knee deep in Mayweather McGregor, and I, I doubt he has time to think about anything else. I'm sure that's making all the other UFC fighters really happy. That's right, where his attention is, but. And Leslie, what, what percentage would you put that we finally see Garbrandt and Dillashaw? Like 30%? <laughs> on, at UFC 217? I'd say it's up in the 90s right now. Okay. They both want it. The UFC wants it. It's It makes sense considering when you when you go to MSG, you want two title fights. And that, in my opinion, GSP Bisbing doesn't make sense in terms of matchmaking. Like GSP's never fought in Millway. Bisbing has number one contenders uh, and that he hasn't fought. But in terms of just... High level quality MMA like martial arts, 
it doesn't get much better than Cody Garbrandt and TJ okay. Dillashaw. I think the only one that could, that you can compare it to is if Khabib and Tony Ferguson fought, where they are clearly the two best fighters in that division. Uh, and obviously, Dominic Cruz is still there, but he he's not fighting anyone unless it's unless they're the champion. But this, I think, that fight being on this card makes sense. It's basically, the UFC saying, "Oh, you don't like Bisping GSP? Well, then here's a real title fight." So I would love that fight to be on there, and I'd probably put it in the nineties, ninety percent and above, whether that fight happens at UFC two seventeen. I'm just saying, hopefully, no one gets injured because oh, <laughs> yeah, wrap them in bubble tape right now. I'm not believing that fight is happening until they're in the octagon. We've wanted that fight for so long, it seems, and yeah, they just can't stay healthy. But hopefully, this is. This is where it happens. All right, Jose Young's Money Mitch Effect. Why we're here. It's why we're here this week. It's Mayweather McGregor, Las Vegas, Saturday, August 26th. And, Jose, it's been uh, quite a journey around all three rings of the circus. I, I want to start here. Has anything changed in the last month, maybe the last couple weeks, about your perception of how this fight can and will go? Because we know the narrative of a boxer fighting a, a, a mixed martial arts fighter in a boxing ring but has anything in the last couple weeks and all this ridiculousness changed how you see this fight potentially going how i see it no i said my my official prediction has always been uh mayweather by decision that hasn't changed but i see a lot of other people changing their tune i mean when con when they first when this fight was first being discussed like the first the fight was not even official it was still a pipe dream i think this was november 2016 almost more than like like seven six months ago, Connor was a plus eleven hundred and Floyd was like minus twenty two hundred or twenty or two thousand, and now Connor is plus three hundred, which is insane to me. I've never seen in any sport, baseball, basketball, football, boxing, MMA. I have never seen such a drastic shift from being such a massive underdog. So this is basically a competitive. UFC title fight. Like it, when when Connor fought Aldo, he was like a plus, maybe plus 100, plus 200. And now he's a plus 300. He's 0-0 fighting against someone that's 49-0. So something is happening. Maybe it's the footage of sparring. Maybe it's the fact that Floyd is playing up, that he's partying every single day this week. When they do the UFC embedded, they show him, they show Floyd eating fast food. He's eating Wendy's. He's playing golf. He's joking. He's laughing. He's Going to like uh, a roller skate roller skate rink, and Connor is in camp. Whether that's marketing or not, because Floyd wants to play up the fact that Connor may maybe has a chance and wants people to buy the fight. Right. But something is happening, yeah. and a lot of money is coming out of Connor McGregor now. Can I just say, spoiler alert: it's marketing. <laughs> oh, it's, it's for what, sure marketing. The thing it is, of, yeah. Floyd's Floyd is doing everything he can to get people to buy this, and he's selling. His selling point is not, oh, watch me go get fifty and zero. Not, oh, watch me beat up an MMA fighter. It's Connor could actually win. And that's not analysts saying it. That's Floyd Mayweather saying right. it. So it that's, is a bizarre scene. That's the thing about Floyd Mayweather that I don't think a lot of people realize. He is one of the most egomaniacal athletes we've ever seen and beyond arrogant. But in a lot of the fight buildups where he's an overwhelming favorite, you can go back and look at you know the archive of his, his legacy. He'll put guys over when he's an overwhelming favorite because of the buy rate potential. He wants to sell the fact that it's not going to be another, quite frankly, boring fight. So I think that's part of it. And I know the two big points that people like to look at are it's a 40-year-old guy and he hasn't fought in two years. And I know he's had layoffs and he's come back just as good, if not better. 
He's older. He's probably lost a little bit, but I just don't know that a guy that I can ever fully say that a guy that's never been in a boxing ring can take out a guy even 40, 40 plus years old at Mayweather's ability. So that's where I'm still having that disconnect. I understand and respect McGregor's power, his ability to, if he catches him, to do damage. But this is a guy that's never, you know, fought in a boxing ring before. And I, I just, I'm having a hard time coming to grips with that reality as much as I'd like to see chaos ensue. I don't know, uh, unless unless uh, there may be a fix in, I just can't see this going any other way. The only thing I'll say that Connor has is when he says Floyd's never fought a fighter like me, like, I don't, when I, when he says that, I'm not saying, oh, I hit hard because Floyd stepped in against Miguel, like Cotto and Pacquiao and Canelo and Agati. It's like, so he's fought guys with right. legitimate knockout power. And he fought them with eight ounce gloves. So I don't get the argument where, oh, Connor gets eight ounce gloves. He's going to have a better chance of winning when yeah, that, Floyd has fought most of his career with eight ounce gloves. It's not, it, it didn't sway me one way or the other, right? Like, it didn't say, oh, this is an advantage or disadvantage for either fighter. It's still the same thing. They're not fighting UFC. <laughs> it doesn't change exactly. my opinion of what I see. And and also, I mean, I guess the only metal thing that I could say that might creep in there, if possible, and I'm still not willing to say it, would be the fact that this is the first time in Mayweather's life where he knows without a doubt that he can't, quote-unquote, take the guy that he's fighting against. Like, if things yeah, went off the rails, I mean, exactly. they Exactly, and it's Connor has such awkward striking in terms of his boxing like he's been fighting he's an mma fighter obviously he's a ufc champion so his style of fighting i'm really curious how his striking translates to a boxing ring where there are four corners uh you, in, in the octagon it's really hard to cut off corners and corner guys in, in uh and keep them against the cage because they can just circle away but in boxing when you get that that 90 degree angle in the corner and you get stuck like what can connor do that like how will his style of fighting translate to the ring where you he fights with his hands down he has that wide karate stance you can't do that in boxing you can't you can't keep one hand you can't keep your hands at your waist you can't put your hands behind your back because you're going to eat a bunch of shots from a guy with some of the fastest hands in the game it is shadow boxing looks weird though doesn't it it looks very weird it looks weird and life he's been doing that his whole career that uh this connor challenge thing that's that's been trending with like his his wacky movements and like that, he's been doing that for years. He's never done it, obviously, in preparation for a boxing match. And boxing uh, pundits just look at this and they're like, what is this fool doing? But then you see all the other MMA media are like, this is our champion. This is exactly what he's been doing for years. So it's, it's a clash of styles, obviously. <laughs> And Jose, when we look at the current landscape, I mean, I mean, I know this is an event, and you can look at the numbers, projected earnings for both fighters. You know, Mayweather two hundred fifty million, McGregor a hundred million. The UFC is going to eat a nice sum of cash as well. But I look at the boxing landscape from the outside, and I think this might be one of the more underrated times in terms of just skill across all weight divisions. You have an Andre Ward doing things. You have Terrence Crawford to put on a show. Lomachenko's looking good. Mikey Garcia, the list goes on and on. Joshua as well at the heavyweight division. They're all doing great things. They're, they're winning great fights. The, you know, title fights are being fought at a high level. We're seeing what we've been wanting in boxing for years. Yet here's the headline. Mayweather McGregor, this circus act. Does that pose any bit of a problem to you in terms of the long-term outreach of boxing? Um, it's a good question. I mean, you, you touched upon it a lot where 
it's lately, like in the past six months, this has been some of the best times for just high quality boxing where right. you get you get Ward Kovalov, you get Joshua Klitschko, you get Roman Gonzalez fighting, you get Triple G, you get Canelo. Like this is a great time for boxing. And it, none of it has to do with Floyd Mayweather, which you would have said four or five years ago, like we would have had this string of just successful boxing events and Floyd Mayweather would not be involved. That would seem very like a very odd statement considering Floyd was the face of boxing for the 15 you years. You've got to piss him off a little bit. I'm sorry. I, I really think he's true. a little upset that he's not more of a feature in this golden uh, resurgence in boxing. And I think he's a little upset that when, his, when he retired – Connor's rise was pretty much starting, and Connor has surpassed him. And Floyd's like Floyd retired at forty nine and zero, which obviously tied him with Rocky Marciano's career record, a very iconic. And as you know, it's it's one of the most iconic records in in all of sports, not just fighting. So I never really knew thought that Floyd was gone for good. I, I always assumed he would come back to go for fifty and zero, and then call it quits. But there was no one really out there that drew that could draw the two million buys like when he fought andre Berto, i think it did maybe six hundred thousand tops which should not happen for a mayweather fight he should be doing a million buys every single time he goes out there and i think that maybe left a bitter taste in his mouth and then you saw this irish ufc fighter rise people started to ask him about oh what do you think about connor copying your style and that kind of planted the seed and said that maybe i can get 50 and 0 and it'll be a farce but a lot of people will watch me go 50 and 0 so it's. I feel like Floyd's been plotting this for a long time, and as 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 he might have all the issues in the world outside of the ring, but in terms of a businessman, it's hard to it's hard not to argue that Floyd's not a genius. Yeah, I mean, I've I've said that you know, love him or hate him, and a lot of people go with the latter for obvious reasons. But right. he's a marketing business genius. He's protected his record. He's made himself the face of boxing. You got to give credit to work credits to there he's one of the first people that figured out he can go on his own name he didn't need the promoter to hype him he didn't need to pay anybody else he could you know do the business himself and that's a credit to him there but it's just funny because we got triple g and canolo coming up next month a once in a generation title fight in itself and right this is the fight that's you know happening before that's getting a lot of press well jose young's money mitch effect there is another angle to this fight, and I, I need to bring this up because in some weird way, this doesn't even seem like the fight that should be happening. And I say that because Conor McGregor's biggest enemy in the in the training parts of this fight leading up to it has been one of his sparring partners, former champion Pauli Malignaghi, who all the drama gets let go where he, he left his camp. He, he's, McGregor's team said he knocked him down. There was the footage released. Malignaghi said he was ambushed. And the video comes out. There's a lot to make of it. It looks somewhat clean, but there is this fact that they probably set him up to fail going 12 rounds in sparring. And then just today, before we even really had a chance to breathe and take everything yeah. in, they have a heated converse, or a heated confrontation in Vegas outside the fight scene. So a lot going on there, but we know what Paulie is. He's an announcer. He's going to be calling the fight for showtime. He's a boxer, but he was willing to help out McGregor. Felt like he was stabbed in the back. How do we break this down do you think mcgregor and his team did him wrong um i think he, part, you touched upon a little bit when you said it was a little bit of a setup i do think it's it's obviously it's weird that they flew paulie out basically overnight like cross country almost and then the very next day they asked him to go 12 rounds and paulie did say some pretty disparaging thing about connor and his team like weeks before that 
So maybe it was a setup. I don't really know. It is weird that they released footage of the, the sparring match, but it was edited. It wasn't just a, a stream of sparring footage. It was uh, a knockdown and then cut to another angle and then another angle. So I would have liked to see the rounds before that or the end of the rounds. But Paulie himself said that uh, Connor got the better of me in the beginning of the, in the, the beginning rounds because I was just getting off a plane. I wasn't ready. I'd been retired. I was out of shape. But by the end of it, I was I was winning those rounds because uh, my body is just used to going 12 rounds. I know how to box. I know the rules and all that stuff. And Connor wasn't ready. But maybe we see Pauly Malzernani and Connor fight. Maybe they're setting up another big payday because, say, Connor, if Connor loses and he doesn't want to go back to the UFC for three million dollars, as weird as that sounds, because that's a lot of money in the UFC, but not anymore to Connor. Say Connor never wants to go back to the UFC and he wants to box again. Your next fight is already made. I mean, mm-hmm. I agree with you that Floyd and Connor are fighting for a lot of money, but in terms of a grudge match, Pauly and Connor's a fight to make. Well, what struck me by this whole scene, not the confrontation today, but the whole releasing of footage and, and all the trash talk that went back and forth between these two. Number one being gotta give credit to Connor. That looked like a clean combination. I didn't really see, you know, a push down. That looked like legit boxing, but Jose, and I and I agree with you, it was edited. You don't really see that, a, a release footage where it's an edited releasing of the footage to make one fighter look good. But I've never really heard of a, of a sparring partner going all 12 rounds with somebody. Usually they're rotating guys, they're preparing the fighter, but they're exactly. not making the sparring partner go 12 rounds. And you compound that with, you know, he's not in, sh- in boxing shape, he's not training for a fight, he's going to go 12 rounds after he just landed, that does seem more than fishy for me. And I, and I know there was bad blood beforehand, and Connor said we, we did it to mess this guy up. And, you know, it's a shame because I do think that there should be a brotherhood in training for somebody for a fight. You're there to help them. You know, it's going to get heated. You might, you're going to trash talk. But Larry Holmes started out as a sparring partner for Muhammad Ali. You know, these things have a way of helping each other out. And, uh, unfortunately, the brotherhood, the fraternity, just did not take place here. Yeah, and, and so... Like you hit it right on the head, and to Paulie's credit, he wasn't like when he he wasn't doing interviews. He he wasn't releasing any insider information on Connor. He wasn't talking about it. Uh, there is like an unwritten rule where you you keep it in the locker room. You don't you don't talk to the press about sparring. That's like rule like like fighting one hundred and one in turn in camp. But as soon as Connor's team published that photo of of, of the knockdown. All bets are off, and you, that's why you've seen Pauly on every talk show, doing any every interview. Pauly's in, in, in the zeitgeist now. He's, he is at the forefront of fighting right now. Outside of Connor and Floyd, I bet Pauly is the most interviewed fighter on the planet right now, And which is a shame. Well, I don't want to say it's a shame, but Canelo and Tri- Triple G are coming up, and we're arguing about a sparring session, which just shows you how big this fight is. And maybe we get maybe Pauly's setting himself up for a big payday, that's for him to decide, but I agree with you. Uh, it's it's a it's a fishy situation. It is, and um, you know, one I, I wish we weren't. Another thing I wish we weren't having to discuss here, uh, but so is the circus. Well, Jose Young's money, Mitch effect. And lastly, on this fight, you know, you're going to be there. You're going to get to cover it. What can we expect in the lead up and ultimately in the event itself? More trash talk, more ridiculousness. Will the product be? I'm going to say watchable, but also worth you know, the charge of admission and of buying this pay-per-view. Man, that is a tough, tough question. question. No. It's, hard to, it's hard to answer. 
this is a fight where people are going to say all week, like, I'm not buying this fight. I'm not buying this fight. This is a farce. This is a joke. Uh, who cares about this fight? And then the day of the fight, they'll be like, they'll be like, I have to watch this fight. I mean, this has the aura of can't miss. This is a pretty unprecedented uh, where not only is, is this a cross-promotional promotion, cross fight, cross-sport fight, this is someone making their boxing debut against the greatest fighter of his generation. It's bizarre that an athletic commission would even sanction this fight. So right there is a reason to tune in because this will probably never happen again because it shouldn't have happened again to begin with. Um, I always say a Floyd Mayweather, Mayweather fight is is must-see TV because it is always it is always a treat to watch the greatest do what they do. But this is a weird fight, man, and I'm sure the trash talking is going to come up. Connor still has to cut weight. Floyd is actually moving up in weight a little bit to fight Connor. Connor's – I can't remember a fighter – since Oscar De La Hoya, obviously, but I believe Connor has the longest reach out of any fighter that Floyd has ever fought. Uh, he's a southpaw, which people always say Floyd has problems with southpaws, which is true to an extent, but he's 49 and 0. So he's obviously never had that much trouble. So if you want to just see a spectacle and must see TV, buy the fight. But if you're a box, I don't want to say don't buy it because that's cynical, but if, if I don't blame you if you're a purist and don't want to watch this fight because there are questions about how competitive this could actually be. And Jose, I don't believe this for a second, but if McGregor were to do the unthinkable, <laughs> where, where does this rank in, I guess, boxing and also sporting upsets? This would be, in my mind, the biggest upset in combat sports history, possibly all of sports history. Wow. Uh, I really, I really have to sit down and think about it, what the biggest upset is. Right now, obviously, you got the Miracle on Ice, which – is a big one. You got uh, Buster Posey knocking out Tyson. You got Wyman and Holly fighting. Yeah, you got all these yeah. fights that you got all these upsets in. But those are boxers fighting boxers, hockey teams fighting hockey teams. Like this is MMA versus boxing. And Tyson obviously had never lost and got knocked out. And so that was a weird scene because he got knocked out. He didn't lose a decision. But Buster Posey. <laughs> As Buster Douglas, I got to correct Buster, Buster Posey, Buster Douglas. What am I talking about? <laughs> I don't think he, Buster Posey has the power. Right. This is, I'm, I'm still on the Celtics, man. Um, Buster yeah. Douglas, uh, he has a he had a track record of being a good boxer. It's not like he was like an amateur that was 0-0 making his debut against Mike Tyson. This is 0-0 versus 49-0. So if, if Conor wins, off the top of my head, biggest upset ever. But I'd really have to think that and think about it for sure. Well, we'll see if we find out it's it's you know a pair. Uh, and if Buster Posey wins, that's easily the biggest upset. <laughs> right, he's not even can. I know. I don't see him in fight shape, but who knows? Uh, all right, and then and who knows? I mean, we also have the uh, Canelo Triple G fight next month, which I'm sure we'll talk about before then. And uh, Canelo, I think he told you that if McGregor wins, he wants to have a little phone call with him. Should he win? I'm assuming. But if if Canelo wins and Connor wins. I can't imagine I, if Connor wins. Like not even just Canelo. If Connor wins, the universe, then <laughs> if Connor wins, some miraculous way, every boxer on the planet should call out Conor McGregor to fight him. I mean, Anthony Joshua should want to fight Conor McGregor because he would be the biggest name in combat sports probably ever. Give him all the belts. 
if he does beat Floyd, I imagine they'll do a rematch. And if Floyd wins that, I imagine they'll do a rubber match. And that rubber match will be insane if they go if they split the two fights. Um, mm-hmm. But Conor Canelo, man, that's that's a different story. Where Floyd doesn't really have a country behind him. Conor has an entire country behind him. Canelo has an entire country behind him. Two of, in my opinion, the rowdiest fan bases in Mexico versus Ireland. Um, that would be quite the scene at, at the arena. How does Connor survive that press conference in Mexico? <laughs> oh my, I don't know, oh, man. Like, I don't I'm know if they want to go to Mexico. Connor might not. I mean, well, Connor went to Brazil when he fought yeah. Aldo, and Brazil isn't any safer. Uh, so we'll see, man. But wow. let's get through the circus on Saturday first and. I'm sure you and I will have a conversation uh, that night mm-hmm. after the fight. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Can't wait for that. Well, Jose Youngs, this was fun. And I do got to ask you one last question. Your thoughts on The Rock's new modified ink? <laughs> I don't even. Oh, my God. Like, oh, no, I, I, shouldn't I, be, <laughs> I shouldn't be that upset about some, another man's tattoo. But cool. that bothered me, man. That's. I'm sure you felt the same way. Like. A little That's bit. That's like covering part part of your childhood. A little bit. Now, I I have, you know, I have an admiration for The Rock. Some would call it a man crush, but I got to give credit to where credits due. That's that's your guy. And uh, I thought the first thing I thought was, "Wow, this is ridiculous." And then one of the things I thought shortly thereafter was, "I know Jose hates this right now." I it shouldn't bother me. I really want to like. We only have like a handful of angles. Like I want to see it like in a movie. Or like out on the street because it wasn't the best angle of the tattoo. You can't even really tell what it is. But at the end of the day, it's his tattoo. But man, that one, that one stung a little bit. <laughs> I, I can imagine that. Well, Jose, good talking with you again. Thanks for coming on the show. And uh, until next time, we'll just see what the world of combat sports has to offer. But uh, we can't wait for Saturday. Safe travels to Vegas. And good luck covering this fight. One for the ages. Thanks. Thanks, boss. I hope you enjoy watching it. All right, big thanks to Jose Youngs, who is lucky enough to cover Mayweather McGregor, not Buster Posey and Mike Tyson. But in all seriousness, thanks to him. Good luck to him in his travels and his work covering the extraordinary fight event of the summer. We did not cover John Jones. That literally came down the pipe five minutes after we stopped recording. John Jones suspended for an anabolic steroid. Now, I know there's a lot out there. We're still gathering details everywhere, um, but it's unfortunate. It's a shame, and I know we all hope that it isn't as bad as it looks, but it looks pretty bad, and it could be the end of John Jones. There's a lot of people involved to think about the UFC. Daniel Cormier, if he fought a dirty fighter again, is this it for John Jones? Jones Lesnar, is that even going to be sanctioned now, given their history? But a, uh, a very sad event there, uh, unfortunately. We were all rooting for that redemption story. That may not be the case right now. But again, we got to see what happens. So we'll see what happens with the John Jones story. Unfortunately, though, Jose and I were not able to discuss it because it broke literally right after. But that is the nature of the biz. All right, now it's time for college football talk. The 2017 season is upon us. And I got my guys Sean Sullivan and Matt Wittenberg to break this down. It's the Muddy Mitch Effect, College Football Roundtable. All right, welcome to the Money Mitch Effect. 
It is time again. College football season. The quasi round table is back. We got week zero unofficially coming up, but we've been, we've been waiting for over seven months, and it's time again. I got the guys back, Sean Sullivan and I Matt I feel Wittenberg. like Dave Chappelle right now. <laughs> guys? Itching my neck. Yeah, you're itching. You're feening yeah, right now. Yeah, I'm feening. Crazy Joe Rogan, <laughs> but all right, guys, welcome back Not to the show. time. Mm-hmm. All right, first thing I want to do, I want to break some... I want to just break a little news first. Do you guys realize that this is the 100th episode of the show? Woo! Hell yeah, dude. Oh, yeah. That's an honor. I know. We made made it to 100. That's awesome. It is. It's 100. It's pretty pretty crazy. And as I said earlier, I wanted to get some of the regulars back for episode 100, do what we do best, and that is talk college football. keep it, dare I say, 100. Keep it 100. (laughs) Keep 100. Um, That's terrible. That should be the title of this episode. <laughs> it might, might be. <laughs> it might be. But, guys, we have a lot to discuss this week uh, as we set the ground table for college football. And this isn't going to be a dive into the first couple games. It's exciting that there's football back, but the big games don't really start to the official week one uh, over the holiday weekend. But we want to take some time right now to look at the landscape going into the season, see what some teams are looking like uh, up and coming in this season. The top 10, the rankings, we're going to go to that first. The AP poll officially came out today, but you know there are rumblings of what it was for the better part of a few weeks, and we'll just go through the top 10 really quick. It's Alabama, Ohio State, Florida State, and USC are the top four. And they're the only teams that got first place votes. Alabama getting the majority of them, 52 to be exact. Also the four teams that are odds-on favorites to get to the playoff. Followed by number five, defending national champs, Clemson. Number six is Penn State. Seven is Oklahoma. And then it is Washington, Wisconsin, and Oklahoma State rounding out the top ten. So, Sully, I'll start with you. You hate Alabama, but you respect Alabama. Yeah. And this is as hyped of an Alabama team as we've seen on par with, I should say, in the Saban era. And a lot of people, myself included, think it's deserved. Are you really buying what this Alabama team is selling as the perennial favorite this year? Yeah, I, I think Bama's a machine at this point. You really can't count them out ever. And, and when you have a dude like Nick Saban running the pack, and he's the best coach ever, in my opinion. Uh, he's, he probably he, is. I think he's the best coach ever, is. and I think he's, he's by the time he's set, it's all said and done, he's going to obliterate everything that Bear Bryant did or every record he holds in Tuscaloosa. But that's besides the point. I think that's you know is the reason why you're really back in Bama and and sure they have they have to replace a lot, but they've replaced tons and tons of draft picks time and time again. And from all from all accounts, coming out of Tuscaloosa, they might have uh, upgraded at some position somehow when when you're replacing some NFL talent. With the same story every year with Alabama, it seems like they're the most dominant in the trenches. They're the biggest, baddest team on the block, and it takes a superstar mobile quarterback to beat them. Alabama's offense has been steadily kind of under the radar improving. I'm scared. I'm frightened by what this team could do this year. Yeah, pose a question to you guys. Jalen Hurts, arguably the most talented quarterback Nick Saban's ever had at Alabama. Well, Just going into his sophomore year. So, yeah, is he the most talented, or is this whole Hawaiian kid going to pass him? The Hawaiian kid <laughs> might pass him. They, they, they're they're going to hold on to him uh, and, and probably throw a red shirt on him, but everything that, that from, from the Manning Academy to when you look at all the guys that cover 
uh, high school recruiting with the scouts and, and the rivals departments. They, they say this kid's the real deal, and, and, and Alabama thinks thinks he is too. Supposedly he's uh, uh, so, challenging yeah. for, for, for the I, starting spot. And I think I think it'll be Hertz's job. They'll probably redshirt him and then sit him. I mean, let's be, kid put, made it to the national championship right. his freshman year. I mean, obviously this – I don't know this kid's name from Hawaii, but he's talented for Bama to recruit him all the way for, out mm-hmm. from the islands there, but – but I think it's fair to say these two things can be mutually exclusive. Nick Saban and his program. Nick Saban, maybe the greatest coach of all time. And that I hate that crazy old man, that he's able to do this every single year. But here they are again at the top. Now, the rest of the top four, it's an interesting list with because you have Ohio State 2. JT Barrett's coming back. He's probably going to just destroy the, the quarterback this record. This is what, his 12th year in college? He is. Like the 15th, Aaron Cra- maybe? He's the Aaron Kraft of the uh, football field. Oh, God, Aaron Good Kraft. JT. Um, but what we have with Ohio State is a team that's bringing back a, a lot of, you know, a lot of skill position guys on that offense. Defense, they do have to replenish because it seems like their secondary gets plucked every single year. Mm-hmm. But Florida State, number three, plays Alabama week one. And then USC fresh off the Rose Bowl at number four. So I think it's safe to say, and this is why I'm really excited about this college football season, was that Bama does look like the best team. But two through four is very deep. As deep, you can make a case, as any year we've seen. The top four is pretty stacked. Absolutely. And quick note on that top four. How about that? Each team from a different conference. I'm I'm sure that's been a a rarity these last few years where each team in the top four in the initial AP poll has been outside of or from a different conference so that's pretty unique going into the year and all four of those teams are very deserving uh usc has a ton of probably the most hyped team they've had since the barkley days just with all the love and respect sam darnold's getting well deserved i might add but the kid started nine games last year looked amazing but it's gonna be interesting to see what he does for an encore loses three offensive linemen but they're they're the class in the pac-12 but there's on that collision course, they don't play Washington during the regular season. If those two teams take care of business, can be a potential heavyweight fight for a berth into the Rose Bowl semifinal game. Yeah, and I think that's the other elephant in the room, too, is that we're looking at which conferences now. I think now we're ranking teams, and I'm not saying there was a problem in this, but we're setting up the polls early to reflect what we think the playoff is going to be. I mentioned that those four teams are the odds-on favorites to be in the playoff. So it hasn't always worked that way. It hasn't always been the case. I think this is when the voters and the, and the odds makers are kind of aligning. It seems a little weird, but I think that's the case. Yeah, yeah, and I, th- I think it's almost you're slotting teams where you think they will end up. That's a good point. I think the voters don't forget about Washington at all, but they know they're there, but that's where you would slot a, a second-place Pac-12 team coming out of uh, – yeah. Coming out with one or two losses behind and, the USC, and you got the Big Twelve teams at seven and ten, Oklahoma, Oklahoma mm-hmm. State. That's about where we think they should start. Okay, they're not at that class yet. If they prove it to us on the field, they'll have an opportunity to move up. So they're not written off, which just strikes me as odd. And, and no, no, no issue with the voters because I do think Florida State and Alabama are one, three, one, two, maybe. Mm-hmm. But they play each other, and the odds makers still think that that's going to be the, the a playoff potential matchup. So. They're saying that the loser of that game still is the odds-on favorite. And I think, uh, and I I think, and you hear from coaches too that that's a huge plus for the game because it's bringing out an Alabama versus FSU in Week One. Before, coaches were scared to go out and and schedule a top four team, top five team 
week one because you, you're going to dive into an SEC slate that's brutal if you're if you're Bama or a brutal ACC slate later on in the year mm-hmm. if you're FSU and you're going to try to try to to knock down your, your your non-conference opponents a little bit. So I think they're putting a lot more emphasis on it because you yeah. can lose a game and, and, and still make it in. And to follow up on that. I think you can lose your seat at the table if your resume is not strong enough. Right. Oh, that one hundred percent. That that's that's a, that's the other that's the other side of that coin that helps it out as well. Happened this last year with the whole Wisconsin, Penn State, Ohio State. Did they go into conference championship weekend? So obviously, yeah, these teams know that they're going to need strong out of conference schedule backing them. And then if we've learned anything from college football, it's lose early and you're, you still have a chance. Yep. Yeah, no one remembered one in three USC. They just remembered Donald. Throwing all those touchdowns in the Rose Bowl. Well, let's go conference by conference. We'll get to the rankings and and some style points in a little bit. But Sean Sullivan, Matt Wittenberg, Money Mitch Effect. Wait, I want to go to the uh, ACC because Clemson is the defending national champs, but they're at the the five position ranked nationally. They have some quarterback issues. There's a lot of teams in this conference that could challenge them. We know Florida State's ranked ahead of them, but you have Louisville returning Lamar Jackson. North Carolina had a good year. They lose Trubisky, but there's some talent there. NC State has a great defensive line. Suddenly, the ACC is looking like a football conference. Am I seeing this correctly? No, it's. Uh, I think you're uh, 2020 on that one. Clemson's honestly one of the most intriguing teams heading into this season, just because we barely can remember a time when they didn't have Deshaun Watson. So, obviously, you take that, take him out of the equation. It's a different, different look for sure. Their defense is going to be outstanding. They probably have the best defensive line in the country. And it's going to be, I feel like it's still going to be down to them and FSU for that ACC crown. Louisville, they fell off dramatically at the end of last season, which I'm sure like a lot of people have that at the forefront of their mind, how Lamar Jackson sort of backed into the Heisman with his huge early numbers. So it's going to be interesting to see how they respond, but they're as as offensively talented as anyone else in the conference. So... It's going to be those big three, I feel like, at the end. And then maybe Miami coming out of the Coastal. Is this the year <laughs> they finally put it together? Probably not, but I mean, <laughs> who knows? I mean, I do. I would say about the Coastal, I, I don't want to say that they're going to do much, but I like Cutcliffe and Duke. Uh, he's one of my favorite coaches. I, I, I love programs that good. But I know Sully, you have. Oh, yeah. No, no doubt. Uh, cut, cuts, Coach Cut's one of the best in the I, country. There's and... some good coaching in this conference. I like Fedora at North Carolina. I think mm-hmm. he's a good coach as well. I do want to give you a minute, Sully, to talk about one of your darling teams. That's the Wolfpack, North Carolina State. Yes, I do like NC State. I love their, I love their D-line. I, I, I think uh, in, a, in a conference um, that is, has some damn good quarterbacks, Francois at, at FSU. And then uh, uh, Clemson just named their their starter Kelly Bryant. Let's see if he's the real deal. But yeah, I think that D line, if they're uh, clicking on all cylinders, and they're they're just a just a, an absolute plethora of freaks on that roster, it's really hard for an offense to to uh, move the ball up and down the field when your quarterback's on his back the entire time. So they they can be dangerous. They're gonna upset someone this year. They're gonna get somebody. You know who else is gonna get somebody? Virginia Tech because they do it every year. They're gonna finish about nine and three and. I'm wor- I'm worried uh, about that offensive side of the ball. They've they, right. they lost their tight end quarterback Isaiah Ford totally gone. Understandable. But Bud Foster in that defense is always gonna have those yeah. Hokies ready. Always bring the lunch pill, yada yada yada. Uh, <laughs> but ball. but Beamer ball, you know the Even we're gonna play there. special teams. It's a third of the game. We love that stuff. But yeah, no, it's it's uh it it it'll be fun to watch Virginia Tech too. Never write them off. 
And quick thoughts. I want to switch to the Big 12. It's not the most glamorous conference. Well, it is, I guess, if you like points and, and not a lot of defense. A lot of points. But wh- who's a team outside of the Oklahoma teams that could challenge for this conference? Are you going to say Texas? Are they there yet? Uh, I'm not quite ready to drink the Texas Kool-Aid yeah. yet. I think Herman's going to get them there eventually. You look at the way they're, he's recruiting right now. They, I think they have the number two ranked class for 2018 as it stands. But I, there's got to be some sort of adjustment period. He's a hell of a coach and the right hire for them. But if you're looking for another contender out of the conference, the Oklahoma teams are head and shoulders above anyone else. But I feel like West Virginia might be the yeah. next closest challenger with the Will Greer transfer in there. And uh, with how potent their offense has been with subpar quarterback play the last couple seasons, I feel like that if you're going to circle the wagons on anyone to – and potentially unseat one of those teams that would be the Mountaineers out in uh, Morgantown. I would say that's that's very fair. But Kansas State's another one. That's too. what I was yeah, about to say. Never, never, never. Purple Wizard. Never count out the White Walker walking the sidelines <laughs> in Manhattan. <laughs> He 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 look, uh, looks like every old guy I've ever seen. Yeah, but he also looks like the White Walker in, in Kansas State. He's going to sit there and raise his arms in Manhattan. The crowd's going to go nuts, and Jesse Ertz is going to be throwing touchdowns, and they're challenging Oklahoma. It's pretty impressive how he's just been able to maintain through different eras, through different you know the ebb and flows of this conference. Mm-hmm. He's still right there, and while I don't think the talent's on par, I think none of these teams are unbeatable. I mean, oh, there's going to be chances. Yeah, so, mm-hmm. But uh, I do think it's up to Oklahoma or Oklahoma State to get a playoff spot if possible. Yeah, I completely and agree. It's going to be tough if they do it with more than one loss. Bedlam so. is going to be fun, especially if it is set up to where they're one or no, no guess, loss I mean, I mean, we know JT Barrett's old, but Baker Mayfield, come on. like. <laughs> yeah, that's another one. He yeah. is, it's, his, it's his 15th year. Yeah, <laughs> Baker Mayfield's going to retire. Mm-hmm. Dive right into his 401k immediately. <laughs> but the Big 12 should be interesting. Well, I do want to spend some uh, some extended time on the Big 10 because it is the only conference right now with four teams in the top 10 and four teams that it's have. And, and it's your podcast. So. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, that's it. No, uh, four teams that have legitimate playoff chances. Now, before we get to the three heavyweights that all are in the same half of the conference. Guys, one of the things that jumped out at me this year is Wisconsin, number nine team in the country, has one of the easiest schedules in all of America. That's the only reason why they're there. And, well, last year was interesting slowly because they had that early tough game against Wisconsin, mm-hmm. and they did have to play both. Or, or, uh, Ohio, or LSU, LSU right. They LSU, and they did have to play by scheduling both Penn State, or Michigan and Ohio State. Now, they don't have to right. play Ohio State this year, just Michigan. But the schedule's ridiculously easy, and... Why can't they run it? Why can't they get to the Big Ten title game with the playoff just staring them in the face? It's yeah. more than possible. Yeah, no, it's definitely possible. I think they, they have a, a pretty talented team. They're they're always going to play hard under Chris, but uh, it's <laughs> I, I don't see it. I don't see them hanging with the, with the Penn State or Ohio State at the end of the year. But all it's going to take – now, all it's going to take is one game if they can beat Michigan. And even if they can't beat Michigan, they lose that game, they, they could still – It's your only one loss, and you're, then you're still waltzing, it waltzing into – yeah, And they were Indy. up on, on Penn State in that incredible Big mm-hmm. Ten title game last yeah. year. So that was a fun one. It's possible, but we do recognize that this year the East is just stacked with, and it's Ohio State, Michigan, and Penn State. And it's Penn State, James Franklin, now the $6 million man in college football. But they have to start out the season well. We know how they finish, but they're a lot like USC in the sense that they cannot afford to lose these early games and, and sneak up on people anymore. 
No, not at all. And they won't be sneaking up on anyone as when the country could see what they did last season. Obviously got McSorley and uh, Saquon Barkley, probably the best running back in the country. All-American. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I, I was honestly in the camp who thought James Franklin was overrated going into that last season. And Me and you he, both, brother. He, he sure proved us wrong. And... I, I was up and down on the James Franklin you know, bandwagon because I thought he did a great job at Vandy. But then he gets to Penn State, and I thought he did terrible his first right. couple of years there. And he, his job but that, was, that was a mountain. People forget that last year they played Temple when they were like one and two. If they lose that game, he could have been fired midseason. That was that was a uh, a mountain he had to climb to get over in that program and yeah. get over the hump. And it looks like they're finally getting over the dark days in yeah. Happy Valley. So, I mean, I'm kind of torn on it. Not the biggest James Franklin fan for obvious reasons, uh, being a Vol, but – yeah, uh, I think I think he's got a hell of a team up there, and they're going to challenge Ohio State for sure. They play that game in the shoe this year, so it's going to be obviously one of the prime games of this season that everyone has on the calendar mm-hmm. circle. I think Michigan step takes a big step back. They lose a ton. They have Spate coming back it's, at quarterback, but I, big step back though. I don't know. I mean, they are. I think they're going to be about the same as last year. I mean, what do they they lose to Iowa? We could just sub out Penn State. Say they lose to Penn State and Ohio State this year. It's the same number of losses. Now we know Two they losses. Florida game. I think I think they're going to lose to Florida. So I think they, they will lose possible. to Florida. Yeah, finish maybe somewhere around the 10-12 range. I yeah. Think, I, I yeah. feel like they're going to drop another random game. Still That's Michigan, just, still hardball. Still Michigan, still hardball. Can never overlook them. So much defensive talent gone off that team. So, but there's there's offense, so much back. It's true. Their offense wasn't exactly electric last season, but I just – yeah. More of a gut feeling than anything that it's going to be Penn State and Ohio State for that division and then ultimately for that conference crown. So the game, the Ohio State name of the game for me is the O-line. I mean, I think we saw night and day what it looks like. The last two games of the regular season was Michigan just game. terrible. Should have lost Michigan it. And, and Clemson. That sticks out for me. That, that just That's the one thing I think of when I think back to that game, how bad that Ohio State offensive line bad. was. I mean, it, it doesn't matter who you have back there. JT Barrett, you know. Mm-hmm. And Rashawn Gary's back. He's not it's going just, anywhere. Yeah. He's only a sophomore. Yeah. So, yeah. he back. We'll see what happens there. But I'm I'm bullish on Ohio State's chances because how the schedule lines up this year. Uh, Michigan losing some talent. We'll see what Penn State's made of. You know, that they definitely should have lost that Michigan game. But Penn State beat Ohio State in a blocked field goal return for a touchdown. Mm-hmm. So, there was... A lot of craziness in the air last season. So I think it's going to be an exciting Big Ten season. I just want to see if anybody else emerges. If Iowa can build on some success last year. They have an All-American in their secondary. Under, the drop-off is steep. Yeah. Under Emperor Kirk Ferentz out there. Longest-tenured coach in college football. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Michigan State can't be as bad as they were last year. There's no possible way. Uh, you sure? <laughs> yeah, maybe a couple more wins, maybe but we're not... We're, we're not. We're not really. Yeah, we're not really looking at a, a much, much more than just just making a bowl. That division's tough. That it's it's hard to see them being super successful. I mean, potentially six and six making a bowl. Mm-hmm. I don't exact can't exactly recall what their non conference slate is, but they're gonna have to be dependent on that. I really like uh, the Kevin Wilson ad for your Buckeyes. I think that's. Mm-hmm. That, Indiana was was smoking on all, all cylinders last year, and we're talking about Indiana. So <laughs> if Kevin Wilson can, can bring that uh, to, to the horseshoe, and I, I know Buckeye fans are super excited about it, knowing a couple of you, but 
I, I think I, I have to agree with him on there. I, I, I think Kevin Wilson's going to be a big difference, and he's going to step right in and, and kick some tail for him and get get JT Parrott I hope so. slinging. I sure hope so. Well, slinging the rock. Money Mitch Effect, Sean Sullivan, Matt Wittenberg, College Football 2017 preview. Let's go to your neck of the woods with the Pac-12. Conference of Champions. <laughs> you know, it, it it's and it's, water polo. The motto should be: It's actually not that bad because <laughs> <laughs> it is getting better. USC looks like a legit powerhouse. Washington, I know they, they lost some talent, but I think they're going to be good again. Mm-hmm. And I'm expecting better things from a healthy UCLA and some other teams in this conference. So I'll start with this. Just how deep do you think this conference goes? Is it a two-team race, or can anybody else challenge what we think is just a showdown between Washington and USC? It's tough. Those two are far and away the best two teams in the conference, but I think that you have a couple of teams probably in the pecking you know, order right behind them in Stanford, and then I'd throw Utah in fourth in that con- in the yeah. conference pecking order as it stands now. They've been as consistent as anyone these last few years, but falter right at the end, it seems like every season. They're, fun fact, they're the only team yet to win the Pac-12 South, which I'm sure not too many people are aware that every other team... And it's only been around how Utah, long? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so yeah. five out of the six have yeah. done it, except for them. But if they can get consistent quarterback play, Rice-Eccles is a tough stadium to play, and I've caught a game there before. But Washington, SC are going to be on that collision course. Stanford is the only roadblock I see potentially for yeah. Washington. But Jake Browning is incredible. He had a high school Unbelievable tie. quarterbacks in this conference. Yeah, yeah. yeah probably, the year of the quarterback. Probably top to bottom I mean, the best quarterbacks are in the Pac-12, but... Like, I'm not down on Rosen. I think he's, I mean, he's probably the second best, mm-hmm. definitely second best NFL prospect in the country this year. He's just overshadowed in his own city. Exactly, yeah. It just goes to show the talent that Darnell has that he's yeah. able to overshadow. Well, and, and Josh Rosen right now. So, like, that's the thing. I mean, you get to work on DJ Daniel Jeremiah's Move the Sticks mm-hmm. podcast, and you, I remember vividly discussing with you Pac-12 Media Day. Yeah, I was blessed. Everybody that spoke on that podcast was like a kid in a candy store talking about Sam Darnold. And yeah. we're talking about enemies that their job, their livelihood depends on stopping it. Right, right. Sam, uh, I was first off, that was fun. Pac-12 Media Days was a great time. Uh, but to have the opportunity to talk to, you're right, the USC camp, Sam was a really level-headed guy. We, we talked to him first thing in the morning, the second day, and uh he is what he is. Like he, he throws a pick, he throws a touchdown. He's gonna keep pretty level headed and uh, and and keep keep the team moving forward. And I, I think UCLA, that uh, the center for UCLA, Scott Quisenberry, echoed the same type of things about him and kind of said that they are two opposite players when you're comparing the two LA quarterbacks and Rosen. They had pretty nice things to say about him, but he's, he's just, they said he was a wordly guy, not really a football dude. Yeah. You know, like he, he has more things Darnold going on. Just, Darnold, Darnold's a football, 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 he's focused just an assassin kid. Out there. He's an assassin. I mean, we saw that yeah. Rose Bowl. He was a savage. Like he wasn't, you know, getting too high, getting too low. It's what you like mm-hmm. to see. I'm excited for this conference. And what, what do you think, Sun Devils with bowl eligible this year? We need it. <laughs> oh, boy. If Todd Graham wants to keep his job. Yeah. That's I just don't want six to. Six and six is probably like. <laughs> I mean, that's optimistically probably the best we can do this year. And then, like, I just don't want to sit realistically through. for Todd Graham to yeah. keep it. Yeah, I got, I have, I have Washington in this conference, but 
don't sleep on the Cougs. Yeah, as well. Mike Leach, the pirate lover. The the I love I love me some Leach. The guy the guy's an absolute animal. But the Luke Falk, great quarterback. Another just another, guy another that seems like he's been in college for like eight years. Forty years, but if he puts another and uh, keeps stringing together great seasons, puts the team on his back, they can make a run. And don't sleep on UCLA in the South either. I, I think USC is going to end up winning that division. Yeah. But oh, yeah, if Josh Rosen gets hot, game, stays healthy. Won. Big game yeah. against A&M to see Big, how their season they, starts. Both of them. I, obviously, we're going to touch on the SEC in a little bit, but someone and, and Mora are both uh, really, really fighting for their jobs out of the gates. Unfair or not. I just but. don't want to sit through another Arizona-Arizona State awful game. So anything Oh, man. Oh, no. The quality of the play on the field. But all right, last of the major five conferences to go do. And, Sully, it was Bama last year by a mile. Probably by more than a mile. And mm-hmm. it's, they were the – the team of the conference in the title game, and everybody else had at least four losses at the end of the regular season. So I'll pose it to you. Who's the second-best team, Sully, in this conference? Uh, give me Auburn. I like yeah. uh, Jared Stidham transferring in from Baylor. Uh, that, that was really the, the, the linchpin in uh, Auburn's, Auburn's get-up last year. They gave uh, Clemson everything they could handle. Sure, that was, that was on the planes, but they had a couple shots to win that game and beat the eventual national champions. That defense is loaded from top to bottom. they got to replace some guys in the middle. To Carson McKinley, a uh, big defensive tackle uh, to the draft, but they return a lot on both sides of the ball, and then they add that quarterback aspect. They have the running game. So, can yeah. they get can they get the throw game going so down, I'm, down I'm in Auburn? Warm on a lot of these teams where I think they're good but not great, and mm-hmm. some of them I don't really trust the coaching position. That's a good pick. I probably agree with that. The only other team that I think maybe I would lean towards would be Georgia. I think they're going to have a solid uh, team this year. Georgia, yeah. I mean, they, they bring everybody back on the defensive side of the ball. It is yeah, that's part de- of it. That is part of it. Disgusting. Montrevious Adams was the defensive tackle, not okay. Tack McKinley from UCLA. Um, but the – yeah, Georgia, they, they obviously have everything to go on, ready to rock and, uh, and kick some tail in the east on the defensive side of the ball. Isaiah McKenzie, you're right. The, the running game is good. But it, it is eighth that quarter – Eighth-year senior Nick Chubb. Eighth-year senior Nick Chubb. A lot of them this but, year. It's 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 really really comes down to the quarterback and and they have they supposedly have two of them Jacob Eason, not quite put it all didn't quite put it all together last year but they got they got moments, a, yeah. had his moments but I'm, but I they think, have Jacob Fromm right behind him I think he could he could have a bounce back year I mean starting young and I just don't think the schedule's that tough compared to some of the other SEC schedules so. uh yeah ish whenever Bama's ish. not on the schedule it's not as tough yeah that's, that's good own. I mean they, they still <laughs> they still have a gauntlet yeah. um I, I think they they have a pretty b- tough run in October so the Florida game in Jacksonville like they do every year so right not a true think, game. right that, just, oh that is so frustrating I'm not, yeah I know <laughs> I'm not buying Florida this year uh, as much I think they're a solid team I just don't see I don't know, uh, talent position, I'm coming out there. the wazoo at every position. I mean, which except is for except for coach. quarterback and coach. <laughs> I mean, he. I'm, I'm not going to go there. <laughs> Shark week. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. But, put a shirt on. Too. Right. Right. But no. Uh, but no. They yeah. they have they have talent oozing out. Defense lost a lot, but it really comes down to that quarterback position. You're right. You got you got Felipe Franks. Really talented kid. They think he's he's probably the best out of the three of them. Um, Luke Del Rio is really good, but he's not going to be the guy that takes you over the hump. I say really good. That's actually pretty strong. He's he's actually okay. Pretty mediocre. <laughs> uh, yeah, and then and then uh, Malik Zaire. There's a case to be made for or against a lot of these teams for being the next best team. And I don't want to shortchange the talent that LSU has. Mm-hmm. I can't say a lot of faith in Coach O to resurrect that program in year one. So um, the running game's great, but – 
Yeah, and the passing, it's the same thing with them. Are they oh, going to be able to move 100, the ball? 100, 110 percent. You know, you got a you got an unmobile quarterback, immobile quarterback with with immobile, immobile. That's, immobile, immobile. that's good. <laughs> immobile quarterback with back issues. It's it's not that's not a good thing to have. No, it's not. Derek Geis is so much fun to watch. I, I want to also s- a- you hit the nail right on the head with Geis, Geis and Bo Scarborough. Plus fourteen hundred to win the Heisman. Not bad long shots, especially. I wouldn't even say that they're they're long shots. Well, fourteen hundred is a Compar- pretty good payoff. Speaking. Yeah. Comparatively speaking, yeah. But I, I I think, of course, you got Sam Darnold. Not not to get too deep into our Heisman I'm, I'm talk. With I think Geis has a chance, and yeah. if he tears it up in LSU, as he's going to be that ball. offense. We know Danny Etling can't throw the ball. We already know that he's got he's got. Injury issues. It's going to be all on guys on the on the offense. How about uh, Arden Key on the other side of the ball for LSU? If he could stay on the field, talk about a top five draft pick. But exactly, if he stayed. If he could stay on the field. So your team, the Vols. What do we expect this year? Uh, Unbiasedly. Yeah, no, no. Unbiasedly, I think we're going eight and four, and and that's going to be it. That's what Butch Jones is. He's an eight and four, nine win coach. And you make it sound like he's safe because how good he is at recruiting, but he goes eight and four, nine and three, like. Yeah, I think I that's think a, with the top five, it is a vicious cycle. Is it is a vicious cycle. I, th- I think with the top five class, it would be hard to cut him loose after eight nine wins. Seven and five, you're really thinking about it, especially with the new AD getting his guy in. Yeah, yeah. six and six, you gone. You done. Like seven. a lot of Tennessee fans feel the same way though. Mm-hmm. Um, so we'll see. Yeah, I don't know, man. It, it, they're split right down the middle. There's there's your negavols, as a lot of people call them. I consider myself an alt vol myself, where uh, we, we just. <laughs> We just need hey, to. We need get political here. No, no, no. We we need it. We need to cheat until we get back, and then cut off on the cheating. That's that's considered an alt fall. Uh, okay. Everybody cheats. <laughs> it's just not. Time. Just don't get caught. No. I, I, Ole Miss. All all joke. All joking aside. Yeah, you don't yeah, want to be an Ole Miss. I mentioned no one said Ole Miss in our second I, best. Uh, no, I I, I think uh, yeah, eight and four for the Vols, um, and I think Ole Miss can bite some people. They have Shea Patterson at quarterback. Still have a lot of talent on both yeah. sides of the ball, but once you get a gut check, yeah. right? We were talking about it earlier today. Like, what? Once you have a a punch in the stomach and you're you're sitting there at three and three, what what's really making you, you get know, up you're off not the deck? For right. a bowl game or anything? So. <laughs> pride at stake. Yeah. And what do those kids want to do? So yeah, they're going to be a really interesting team to watch well, this year be- too. Before we wrap this up, there's two teams I want to get your opinions on, and that's not from the Power Five conferences. Notre Dame. What do we expect from them this year? Eh, average. Brian, is average going to keep Brian Kelly for another year? Probably not. Okay, that's, he has I agree to win probably eight games to keep his job, I would say. And with that schedule, I don't know yeah, if they're going to get it. Gonna, mm. Yeah, Georgia's going to get get <laughs> real nasty with him. Yeah. Get real nasty with him. The other team I wanted to bring up with you guys is Lane Kiffin's last chance U team, Florida Atlantic. Uh, I don't know if you see what he's done. He's yeah. Six kids from the two seasons. And I cannot wait. Speaking of Rocky yeah, Talk, here you go. go. So cell phones are supposed to be on silent, but it's a college football show. So it is, it is. I, I forgot to silence my phone, but Wait, I was hoping we Rocky. Bring up Lane Kiffin too. I don't know. I don't know. What uh, maybe it's a sign. I was hoping we'd bring up the. Uh, uh, it, it would ring when the vo- we were talking vols, but Joey um, Freshwater instead. Joey, yeah, Joey Freshwater, another connection to the vols. Uh, but yeah, no, I, I, I think watching the Owls is is much watched TV every single week now. 
See what he's doing. It's either going to be a dumpster fire or he's going to, he's going to get the owls rocking and rolling. It's going to be not just every Saturday throughout the week, whatever. Oh, yeah, Tuesday, Wednesday, out. Thursday, Friday, Saturday, whenever they're playing. Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, too. Yeah. Get yeah. those uh, retirees out in Boca, out to the stadium. Yeah, baby. I want more hype videos where he looks like a <laughs> what do you? What, what are they going to, what are they going to, like, offer, like, free Metamucil or something to, to yeah. get them to get them Four to, o'clock to, dinner reservation. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Boom. Yeah, get four o'clock. Covered couch. Yeah, yeah baby. Our <laughs> gift cards. All right. <laughs> Sean Sullivan, Matt Wittenberg, Money Mitch Effective. This is a good start to the season. Uh, before I let you guys go, two things. One, mm-hmm. what stands out for this week zero? Anything you're looking forward to or just, you know, football back? Because these aren't the most enticing matchups. Stanford? But. Yeah, you can see some Stanford. And then and Rice isn't going to be too big of a barometer for them. But uh, just first thought for me going into this week zero, the very first game of the season is uh, Oregon State at Colorado State and Colorado State opening their brand new stadium That'll be on fun. campus. So. That'll be fun to see. I'm sure their crowd's going to be hyped up, as we all should be hyped up that college football is back. And then, so, uh, it'll be fun to watch. Yeah. The last little nugget on week zero to watch, Quint Flowers, quarterback for University of South Florida. Mm. He's, a, he's a pretty dang good talent um, and, a, and definitely an off-season crush for a lot of people. I'm excited to see BYU play in back-to-back weeks. I think they're the only team that plays week zero and week one, or, or the only team that played big-time talent. They're going to yeah. LSU. In week two. After. Oh, boy. Yeah, so... We'll see what happens there. And lastly, are we ready to make our playoff picks or our all too early playoff picks? Do you think it's going to go one before? Or do hey, you see shoot or shoot? Shoot or shoot. What, what uh, give me, give me everybody but USC. Oh, who gets give that me Washington. Spot, Washington takes the yeah. spot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right, go SC to counter that. Bama, Okie State. Yeah, baby. Wow. Hokum and. State. Okay. Sorry, Mitch. It's <laughs> all right. I'm not going to get out. No. Uh, I'm going to say, you know, it's an interesting look at the list, but I'm going to say that we'll probably just go one to four. I like wow. it. Go I chalk. Like it this year. Wire okay. to wire. That'd be something. But I got to be honest. I'm not ready to say who I think is going to win that showdown. Which one? In between one and three. Oh, Bama. What? Huh? All the way. We'll see. No. See, that's what they're I'm gonna leaving. live in that's that backfield. That's why I'm leaning. They're on. going to live in that backfield. I would. I would rather. DeAndre Francois is going to be a, okay. a just peppered. Okay. I'm not. <laughs> by the end of I'm that game. I'm not saying I'm just, on Florida State yet, but it's ooh, a toss up to me. I hope he makes it through the game. I really okay. do. That offensive line was nothing to write home about. Okay. Well, hey, he's got he's got some legs on him. We'll oh, see. he does. Hey, yeah. Yeah. But he was also one of the most hit quarterbacks last year. So, guys, this was fun. College football's back. We're excited. A lot, yes, of, a lot of late Saturdays. A lot of Mac. Cannot team. wait. A lot of Pac-12 I'm excited hours. for week one and, and, and Oregon State versus the Sisters of the Poor. Whoever they're playing, let's do this, baby. Let's go. All right. Thanks, guys, for coming <laughs> on the time. show. That's going to do it for episode 100 of the Money Mitch Effect. Thanks to our guests, Jose Young's. Matt Wittenberg, Sean Sullivan. Thanks to Tim Adams for supplying the beat. And thanks to Brian Nelson for supplying the logo. And seriously, thanks to everybody out there who's listened, subscribed, written a review, just been a part of this show. I could not have done it without you. This started out as a hobby. I take it pretty serious right now. But thanks to everybody out there for helping you know this show grow. It's only going to go to bigger and newer heights. 
I, I really do mean that. I really do appreciate that. We've got college football coming up. The NFL season is right around the corner. Baseball playoffs are going to be after that. And before you know it, we'll be into winter yet again. But thanks to everybody out there for listening. I promise you, I put my name to it. This is only the beginning. The best is yet to come. So thanks to everybody out there for listening to the Money Mitch Effect. There'll be one more episode. Uh, the U.S. Open preview that we're going to be dropping later this week, so don't miss that. Remember that you can find all episodes of the Money Mitch Effect, all 100 of them on SoundCloud, iTunes, and Google Play. And you can follow me on Twitter, MoneyMitchM21, for sports and other takes. That's it for this week. I am Mitch Michaels. You have yourself a great week. Until next time, this was the Money Mitch Effect, and please keep enjoying sports.